0: Hi, ParCast listeners, it's Vanessa with some incredible news. You can purchase your copy of our book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them, available now at parcast.com cults. Cults is an expanded look at the people who led and followed the most radical groups in history, with an unflinching exploration into what happens when the most vulnerable recesses of the mind are twisted into the lowest forms of malevolence, details not featured on our podcasts. We're so proud to bring you this fantastic compilation of stories, and we're forever grateful for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible. So thank you. Visit parcast.com cults to order your copy of cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who joined them. That's parcast.com cults to order today. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected the stories that are most entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into medieval British traditions. Our versions may not be the myth you're familiar with, but we hope you enjoy them. And be warned, today's episode contains depictions of violence, murder, and gore. Please exercise caution for listeners under 13.
1: King Leo de Grance? It's King Arthur. I need your assistance most urgently.
0: Arthur surveyed King Leo de Grants' empty castle courtyard. Perhaps the man was at his summer home? That would match Arthur's miserable run of luck since returning from Avalon. While Arthur was away, a challenger, King Urien, had gathered an army. He'd ravaged the countryside, cutting off the beards of nobles he defeated and wearing them on a stinking furry cape. Establishing an alliance with Leo de Grance was Arthur's only hope. Together, their armies could beat back Urian. But instead of legions of knights, all Arthur found at Leo de Grants' castle was a young lady.
1: You there, lady! Please, escort me to King Leo de Grance. Britannia is in imminent danger, as is one of my most trusted advisors, Merlin!
0: As she turned toward him, Arthur realized this was the most exquisite woman he'd ever seen. Sparkling blue eyes, soft curves, and freckles like the markings of a fawn. When she spoke, his insides melted.
2: Merlin, the old enchanter? He seems like he could take care of himself.
1: It's not always that simple. There's a prophecy in.
2: Oh, yes, I know all about it. How? Everyone knows... The sword from the stone, the promised king, a handsome man with a hidden past. No, it
1: was another prophecy. Did you say handsome?
2: I said what the prophecy says, and I'm happy to see it wasn't wrong. I'm Guinevere, princess, Guinevere, daughter of King Leodegrance.
1: Princess, sounds like you have designs on becoming a queen.
2: If marriage is the only way to save my father's beard from King Urion, certainly.
1: That... I would never presume. You know about Urion?
2: Naturally. Forgive me for the small reception. Can't be too cautious these days. But it seems like you won't try to kill us.
1: I'm not here to kill anyone. Maybe Urion, but not if your father can help me negotiate peace.
2: Peace? <laughs> you really are the one from the prophecy. Come, meet my father.
0: She gave him a wink and gestured for Arthur to follow. As he watched her hips sway, Arthur swore that if he survived this battle, Guinevere would be his queen, his wife, the mother of his firstborn child. He was unaware that at that very moment, in the far reaches of his kingdom, this dream was already shattering. Deep in a foul bog, the sorceress Morgays screamed. Dead leaves tangled in her hair, and dried elk blood caked her body. As she screeched again, the rust-colored scabs cracked, exposing white lines of bare skin. She squatted. As she yowled, a creature slipped from between her legs. The firstborn son of Arthur Pendragon, King of Britannia, had arrived. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Today, we continue the saga of King Arthur. After his time with the Lady of the Lake, Arthur felt determined to put an end to the violence that had plagued Camelot but he soon found that building a happy marriage and a legion of valiant knights wouldn't be as easy as drawing a sword from a stone. Coming up, Merlin gives a dire warning.
4: New season out on Spotify soon.
0: A successful hunt, a victory in battle, a wedding. In medieval Europe, they were all celebrated the same way with a grand feast. At these feasts, the highest ranking nobles sat at an elevated table looking down on the courtiers and knights. It was abundantly clear who was in power. Proximity to the king was everything. According to author Roy Strong in Feast, A History of Grand Eating, the high table was sometimes the only table with the privilege of eating meat. The knights at the common tables would dine on an entirely different menu. So when King Arthur sat his knights at a single round table, eating the same food the same distance from him, it wasn't just creative storytelling, it was a political statement. The mythical round table symbolized equality, peace, and unity, the very values Arthur and his knights strove for in the legends. Some representations took the symbolism a step further, putting a hole in the middle. This round table wasn't a circle, but a ring, a common symbol for an oath. And no knight sits at the round table without proving they're worthy to swear an oath. With help from King Leodegrance, King Arthur defeated King Urian, Britannia was finally fully under his rule, but as he began his new era, Arthur no longer wanted to reign alone.
1: Merlin, you need to meet Leo de Grants and Guinevere with me tomorrow. It's crucial we show a strong front for the betrothal. Betrothal? You've known her for, for a matter of weeks. I've been meeting women my entire life, and I've never met one like her. I don't know why you're giving me that look... You've been pounding me for months to find a wife.
3: I've had a vision of how disastrous a marriage to Guinevere could be. If we don't take care, I fear she may bring about your downfall.
1: You say that about everyone. And can't a vision be wrong? Nimue said you were in mortal danger, yet here you are, exasperating as ever.
3: There'd be no need to exasperate if you would heed my warning. Need I remind you of the last time you were tempted by a woman's beauty? Of course I remember.
1: I succumbed to temptation and bedded another man's wife, but I vowed to be better. Besides, no one's seen nor heard from Morgays in the better part of a year. She could be dead for all we know, my sin buried with her.
3: Ah, for your sake, I hope she is. If you truly cannot fathom choosing another, (sighs) tread carefully with Guinevere, King Arthur.
0: Though Merlin's prophecy weighed on him through the night, Arthur awoke sure of himself. That morning, he met Leo de Grants and Guinevere for a private audience, joined by a reluctant Merlin.
1: I dream of a kingdom ruled not by bloodshed, but chivalry. A kingdom where all good men stand as equals, and promises of loyalty hold faster than welded iron. It's the future Merlin foretold for me, and I hope for you. King Leo de Grants, Pledge your daughter to me, and your grandchildren shall sit upon the strongest throne the country's ever known. Guinevere, you are much more than beautiful. In our brief time of war, I've seen your wit, kindness, and composure. Would you marry me and become my queen?
0: Arthur dropped to one knee, offering a golden tiara. Guinevere surveyed him with bright, probing eyes. Then she looked to her father... He gave a small nod. I shall marry you, Arthur, and reign beside you as queen. Guinevere accepted the tiara, her delicate fingers brushing Arthur's battle calluses. Warmth like sunshine shot through his veins. He felt weightless, a haze of happy delirium settling over his brain, like he'd drunk a cask of fine mead. Arthur barely registered the ensuing conversations beyond the crucial detail, They'd ride for Camelot tomorrow and marry the day after they arrived. But when Guinevere finally spoke, he heard every word. Come with me. I have a betrothal gift for you. Guinevere led Arthur down a hall, past an arched window. The sun glimmered on her hair. He was tempted to reach out and touch it, to feel her soft skin. He wanted to... His mind flashed to that night with Morgays. Arthur's stomach lurched. No, this would be different. His relationship with Guinevere would be one of beauty, not sin. He pushed the thoughts away as Guinevere opened the door. Inside was a large room, empty save one thing.
1: Oh, a table. I've never seen one shaped like this, like a ring cut from a tree.
2: It's impressive, no? Anyone who walks in just stops. Then you have the upper hand while they catch their breath.
1: You don't need a table to take my breath away, Guinevere.
2: We shall see, my king. Back to the table. It belonged to your father, Uther Pendragon. When he died, it was left with my father, one of his most ardent lieges. Our families have quite the history.
1: It's incredible. It could fit a hundred knights
2: 150 it's very clever merlin allegedly built it the pieces come apart for easy transport then lock back together i suppose you can put something in the hole in the middle a whole roast venison perhaps or a herd of them considering that my father also plans to gift us 100 knights
1: 100 knights and my father's table quite the wedding gift
2: Indeed. Though, I think the table's rightfully yours. Ours. Hmm. So, what shall we do with the knights?
1: I hope to spend them with you. Once we marry. Or even before, if...
2: uh... (laughs) The men! The new men serving as knights of Camelot. As a king, you should have your own order. The Arthurian knights, maybe. Or the knights of Excalibur.
1: You remembered the name of my sword.
2: It seems very important to you. Now, tell me more of the existing Knights of Camelot. What codes do they live by?
1: Oh, uh, yes. Knight's codes. Uh, Well, obviously, I've charged them with promoting peace in Camelot. And uh, honestly, I haven't made them swear anything other than loyalty.
2: If you want to give me a wedding gift, make a plan for those knights. Who else will protect your queen?
0: Guinevere gave Arthur a wink and left the room. Arthur's stomach somersaulted. How could a mere woman have such an effect on him? Arthur shook it off. After all, she had a point. If he wanted Camelot to thrive, his new order of knights must uphold ideals of peace if he could only figure out what those were beyond, well, not killing each other. But it wasn't just about the right oaths. He'd also need to start with the right men. After all, he couldn't honor the knights from Leo and ignore his own. He'd dub one of his most loyal followers first of this new order as a statement. On a ride back to Camelot the next day, Arthur surveyed his men. There was Sir Bedivere, stalwart, but with a pack of bastard children spread across the country. There were Gawain and Gaheris, the sons of King Lot and Morgays. They were brave and skilled, but each had their father's penchant for violence, and their mother's, well, Arthur wanted to keep his distance from their mother. Then there was his foster brother Kay, a righteous and loyal man, But knighting his brother first might look like all he cared about were family ties. By the time he arrived back at Camelot, Arthur was no closer to an answer. He decided he'd sleep on it. When he reached his rooms, he realized he wouldn't be sleeping quite yet. A large, tawny owl perched on his bedpost. The bird dropped a note from its talon. Arthur picked up the parchment and read it.
3: Arthur, meet me in the forest urgently.
0: After his last talk with Merlin, Arthur was tempted to throw the note in the fireplace, but the owl gave him a stern look, then perched itself on his head. Talons tangled in his hair, Arthur pulled on his boots, grabbed a lantern, and ventured into the woods. Arthur arrived in Merlin's favorite clearing, a spot they often went hunting. He peered into the darkness, searching for the wizard. Lantern light flickered over tree bark and then illuminated a grotesque face. The owl fluttered off his head in fright.
4: Who are you? It's me, you loon, Morgana.
0: Arthur examined the figure in front of him. It did look a bit like Morgana, if Morgana was part rock. Nonsense. What shade dare takes the
1: form of my friend? And poorly.
4: Arthur, it's a disguise, shape-shifting. It turns out it's easier to learn the old ways when you don't have Merlin spouting 10 riddles
0: a minute. See? The shade brought its face closer to his lantern, If it was Morgana, her fair skin had roughened. She'd lengthened her cheekbones and changed the color of her eyes to a stony gray. Would
4: anyone other than Morgana say I'm absolutely overjoyed you killed my ex-husband, King
0: Urien? If you are my friend Morgana, change back. The shade's eyes crunched closed, and her brow furrowed. Her stony skin rippled and melted, leaving a residue of slime. She wiped it away with a handkerchief, revealing Morgana as Arthur knew her.
4: It's good to see you, Arthur. I hear we've both been busy.
0: Yes.
1: Hard to believe I'm getting married and you're turning into... a boulder?
4: I was going for a pebble, actually. Don't worry. I'll be a perfectly presentable lady at your wedding tomorrow. Hopefully, Merlin won't keep us too late.
1: Between us, I'm quite upset with him. He disapproves of me marrying Guinevere. Well... You don't actually agree with him. The wedding's tomorrow.
4: In my defense, I didn't know you were courting her, but she's very young. I recall when I was married off to (laughs) Urien. Thanks for killing the elf, by the way. I only implore you to be gentle, even if you love her. I
1: do love her.
4: Even if you love her, she's naive. you do well to be kind.
1: She's not dumb, Morgana. She actually proposed a brilliant idea. Creating a new order of knights, all equals, with a new oath. They'll help build Camelot to be safe and fair and... I'm still working it out exactly, but the end result is peace.
4: That's actually quite brilliant. If you give everyone equal status, you may
0: end the infighting that's been plaguing us. You could... Merlin! At that moment, Merlin stepped through the trees.
3: Arthur, finally.
1: Took you long enough. What's this about, Merlin? If you're going to start in on Guinevere again, you won't change my mind.
3: It's not Guinevere, but another thorn in your crown. A history in the making, and a history we cannot unmake.
4: Speak plainly or not at all, Merlin.
3: It's not plain to speak of. I've shielded you both for far too long. There are things I never told you. Family matters that must be dealt with.
1: Now you're against Kay? Merlin, he's the only family I have left.
3: Uh, No, no, no. This isn't about kinship. It's about blood. Both of your blood. As you know, Arthur, your father was Uther Pendragon, the High King of Britain. Morgana, your father was Gola, a vassal of Uther's and the Duke of Cornwall.
4: Of course, but where are you going with this?
3: What you did not know is this. Years ago, Uther Pendragon fell madly in love with igraine the Duke of Cornwall's wife and Morgana's mother. In his jealousy, Uther committed a heinous crime. He had Gorla, his own knight, killed, then raped igraine His sin conceived a child, one who stands here before me.
0: Morgana put a hand to her mouth in shock, Turning to Arthur, the young king had gone suddenly pale.
1: They conceived... me? Morgana and I are siblings? My father raped my mother? If that is true, then everything you have ever told me is a lie. I was born out of wedlock. My claim to the throne is illegitimate.
3: Uh, Not so. Uther married a grain soon after your conception, securing your birthright.
1: Oh, well, even so, why have you never told me I was conceived in sin? Or that Morgana's my sister?
3: Half-sister. you do well to note the half.
4: And you're a half-wit for never telling us we were family.
3: Uh, Frankly, Morgana, you're not the sister Arthur need worry over. Another sister?
4: Merlin, why have you kept this from us?
3: For many years, it never mattered. But now... Your family tree has grown a twisted new branch. Much like his father, Arthur laid with another man's wife to conceive his firstborn. That child has now entered the world. A child? The result of your dalliance with Morgaze.
4: Morgaze? You laid with Morgaze? Do you know who she is? Of course. She's King Lot's wife. Arthur... Morgase is my older sister, which means.
1: Which means Morghese is also my.
0: Oh. oh. Shockwaves rang through Arthur. He took a step away from Morgana, swayed, bent forward, and retched on the forest floor. As
3: I said, you do well to note the half.
0: Coming up, Arthur faces his growing family. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. I'm so excited to tell you that our first book is on sale now. This is such a big moment for the whole ParCast family, and we can't wait for you to read it. It's called Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them, and you can purchase it today by visiting parcast.com slash cults. This is a passion project years in the making and only made possible by you. With your support, we've been able to get back to our storytelling roots, this time with a wealth of research and insights under our belt and intimate details not covered on our podcast before. Shame, exploitation, power. Cults unfolds the many motives behind groups like Nexium, Heaven's Gate, The People's Temple, and more, revealing eye-opening details which will surprise even the most devoted true crime fan. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And on behalf of everyone here at Parcast, thank you for joining us on this journey. We hope you enjoy. Now back to the story. Arthur knelt on the forest floor, numb from the shock of Merlin's revelation. In a matter of minutes, he'd gone from an orphan with no blood ties to a new father with two half-sisters, and he'd be getting married in a matter of hours. Next to him, Arthur's half-sister Morgana seemed equally shocked.
1: I can't believe it. I have a son. Merlin, does he have a name?
3: The child is called Mordred. Mordred. I need you to find him
1: and bring him to me. Even if he's a bastard born of my half-sister, he's still my child. He should be raised here, at Camelot. raised at Camelot?
3: Arthur, this boy is a child of of a-, a sorceress of the worst kind who desires nothing more than your downfall. She seduced you and manipulated his conception so that he would be a weapon to use against you. Arthur, if you bring that child into this court, you will only make her job easier. Then
1: why would you tell me if not so I could meet him and take him
3: in? Why do you think? So you could have him destroyed before he becomes a threat? Murder my own child? I could never! Then you forfeit your destiny.
4: (sighs) Destiny? That's rich. No sin too foul so long as it supports Merlin's grand designs. I suppose you think it was also destiny when Uther Pendragon killed my father and defiled my mother?
3: It directly led to the conception of Arthur. So in fact, yes.
0: (sighs) Despicable! Morgana rose, floating above the ground. She made a rude gesture, then flew out of the clearing.
3: Did you see that? Uh, She's gone farther into the old ways than I realized. But we have greater concerns, Arthur. I beg you, your conscience serves you well, but you must put it aside and trust me now. Have the child killed?
1: No. If it is truly my destiny to bring peace to Britain, I cannot spill the blood of innocence. I want Mordred brought here alive. I will raise him as my son.
3: I'm sure your bride will love
1: that. Maybe Guinevere will leave me. Then you'd be happy at least.
3: You wound me. <sighs> I will do as you ask, but it won't be easy to find the child.
1: My sinful night with Morgause was just after we defeated the eleven kings. That means Mordred would have been born around May Day. Have all the babies in the realm born near that date brought to Camelot, if you must. Just. Find my son. As you wish.
0: That night, Arthur barely slept. Merlin's revelations sunk into his bones like the chill of a snowstorm, and even the warmest fire couldn't end his shivers. The next morning, he wandered into the great hall for breakfast, rubbing the dark circles under his eyes. He needed something in his stomach before the wedding. However, instead of the usual long rectangular tables of food, servants moved small, arched tabletops around the room with no pastries in sight. Morgana appeared beside him, the rage of the previous night's revelations seemingly forgotten.
1: Morgana, I wanted to talk to you about, well, everything we learned last night. I know you must hate me now, but
4: I- Why would I hate you?
1: I suppose because my father murdered your father and defiled your mother, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that I ruined your life simply by existing.
4: None of that is your fault, Arthur. You are not your father, and you're not responsible for his sins or mistakes. I don't hold any of that against you.
1: Oh. That's a relief. You know you're my greatest supporter and cleverest strategist. I'd be lost without your advice.
4: Well, that's true, at least. Speaking of advice, your fancy table arrived. I told the men to assemble it. If it hasn't occurred to you, you ought to sit in the hole.
1: Morgana, I thought you said you wouldn't punish me for my father's
4: sins. It's not an insult. If you sit in the center, you can circle everyone around you. That way, no one sits closer to the king than anyone else. It keeps everyone equal, just like you said you wanted.
1: Morgana, you're a genius! And there are 150 seats to boot. I can fill them with the best
4: and bravest knights in Camelot. I suppose, but it doesn't just have to be reserved for knights.
5: King Arthur, where shall I place this table leg? It is the heaviest piece, but I can carry it all day at your say-so.
0: Sir Gawain, the son of King Lot and Morgause, held a large curved wooden table leg over his head. Uh, set it down there. As Gawain hefted the leg away, Morgana whispered into Arthur's ear.
4: That's Gawain, Lot's son. He's our nephew, if you haven't worked that out. And your son's half-brother, you Ledge. You're really going to give me grief for this? Someone has to keep the king in check. Oh, look, he's back.
5: King Arthur, I heard a rumor your queen is starting a new order of knights. I aim to join, if you'll have me.
4: First off, Arthur's starting the order, not Guinevere. Second, you can't simply ask to be knighted. To join a new order, one has to prove their valor in battle or in strategy. All you've proven is that you could tip a cow.
5: (laughs) I could tip two cows if a lovely enough woman was watching. And I'll build this whole table with my own hands when Merlin provides his instructions.
4: Why does Merlin have anything to do with this?
5: He designed the table, didn't he?
4: Ugh, is there nothing that Cambion's spidery fingers haven't messed with? <sighs> I'm going out for air.
0: Morgana left out one door and Arthur the other. On no sleep and an empty stomach, he headed to the chapel for his wedding. It would be a simple ceremony. Him, Guinevere, a priest, and Kay as a witness. The people of Camelot were much less interested in the formal rite than the feast that would follow. As he entered the chapel, Arthur pushed away thoughts of his bastard child. Deep in the bogs on the edge of the kingdom, Morghais sobbed as she nursed Mordred. Even with her magic, new motherhood was hard. Her body ached from breasts to pelvis she'd considered drugging her own baby with a potion just for an hour's sleep. So she nearly dropped the infant when she saw her estranged sister, Morgana, emerge from the fog.
4: Sister, I come with a warning. Mordred is in danger from Merlin. The wizard manipulated me for years. He only confessed the truth of our family last night, that Arthur's our half-brother conceived in sin after the murder of our father if I had known I never would have allied with him sister let me help you raise Mordred to avenge our family and be the king Britannia deserves
0: overcome with emotion Morghese held her sister tight raising a child alone was a daunting task and she knew there was no better motivator than revenge let me watch him while you rest Morghese handed over baby Mordred and laid down, asleep almost instantly. Once she snored, Morgana popped the cork off of one of Morghese's bottled potions and fed it to Mordred. Five minutes later, she was out the door, silent, sleeping baby in hand. Ten minutes later, she was on a boat, leaving the coast. Fifteen minutes later, she pulled out a handkerchief and wiped the slime oozing from her face. Or rather, his face. For it was not Morgana Le Fay who'd taken charge of baby Mordred, but Merlin. Back in Camelot, Arthur left the chapel hand in hand with Guinevere. She asked what he was thinking. He could hardly be honest and say, My son born through incest, so he improvised. Um,
1: who shall be the first man knighted with Excalibur? I've decided on Sir... Sir Gawain.
2: King Lot's son. Lot and his wife are dreadful.
1: Be it so, but Gawain is strong, stalwart,
2: eager, strong... Very strong, I see. Then, I suppose you have my support in knighting him. You'll see. Not
1: every man is destined to be like his father.
0: But as Arthur and Guinevere entered the feasting hall, he was forced to reconsider that thought. The round table was still in pieces, scattered across the floor. Wine and ale splattered the finely carved wood, and several courtiers nursed cuts and bruises. On the royal dais, knights fought over chairs, arguing over who was worthy to join the high table with the king and his new queen. And in the center of the room, Sir Gawain held a piece of the tabletop up as a shield. Sir Gaheris attempted to club his brother with a table leg.
5: I only meant the jewels at the hilt of your sword were small. I swear it had no other meaning, brother.
0: Arthur, isn't
2: that the one you were going to knight? Not anymore. Enough, enough!
1: What the devil is going on? King Arthur, lay off,
5: Gaharis. The king and his ravishing new queen are here. Apologies, my king. We couldn't figure out how to assemble the blasted table. Gaheris was too afraid of Merlin to go looking for him, but I said even a small sword could...
0: As Gawain spoke, a stag burst into the room. Following close behind was a knight on horseback with a beautiful screaming damsel in his clutches. Guinevere stood shouting at Arthur's men.
2: Knights, one of you must save this poor damsel.
1: Young Gawain, if you ever aim to redeem yourself, heed my queen's command, rescue that lady.
0: Gawain yelled and tailed the invader, followed by three bloodhounds. But the horse ran wild, chasing the dogs who chased the stag. Arthur cursed, drawing Excalibur from its sheath. As he did, the stag leapt through a window, shattering glass. The strange parade followed it. Arthur chased them as far as the windowsill, where he saw the accursed troop vanish into the forest, chased by Gawain. Meanwhile, at the edge of the kingdom, Merlin continued on his own quest. Standing on the coast not far from the castle, Merlin held up a spyglass, spotting the ship with Mordred on its approach. As Arthur commanded, the ship held every baby born around Mayday, plus a few seasick nursemaids. The brief time on board had been dreadful for Merlin, but luckily he'd never planned on completing the voyage. The wizard lit a series of magical explosives one by one, shooting them into the clouds above the ship. Each explosion released a burst of heat, causing the clouds to shed their water and thunder to rock the sky. More than enough to scare the nursemaids and novice sailors, the ship turned to avoid the sudden squall right toward the rock-smattered cliffs. Merlin muttered under his breath, The wind gusted over the waves, causing the tides to surge and catching the ship's sails. The ship rocked, unsteady in the water. It crashed into one giant rock in the water, then another. The wood splintered, then split. Water rushed over the ship, pulling it beneath the waves. Merlin lowered his spyglass. It was done. Mordred would not live to bring the downfall of Camelot. Though as he strode back into the castle's great hall, Merlin discovered that Camelot might not have far to fall.
2: Merlin, where have you been? A strange knight crashed our wedding feast with a captive damsel. We sent Sir Gawain to chase him down and rescue her, but the rogue knight has just returned, alone.
1: Merlin, you've missed all hell breaking out. Please tell me you at least were successful in your task.
3: Success is hard to achieve, and even harder to define. There was a shipwreck. I couldn't save the child.
0: Shock rolled through Arthur. Despite Mordred's dark conception, Arthur had wanted to raise his son. Still, to his great shame, a small part of him felt relieved. Now at least he would not have to explain his incestuous affair to his new wife. His greatest mistake could be forgotten. Just then, he realized Guinevere was screaming. Gawain had returned. Hanging from his neck was a woman's severed head. The rogue knight pointed a wavering finger at him.
5: Behold, Sir Gawain and the head of my murdered wife.
0: Coming up, Gawain recounts his terrifying quest, and Arthur faces the reality of the Knights of Camelot. Now back to the story. King Arthur stared at Gawain. The young man was standing in the entryway of the Great Hall with the severed head of a woman hanging around his neck. This was the man Arthur had chosen to become the first knight of his new order. He had only recently discovered that Gawain was his nephew, and from the looks of it, he was also a cold-blooded killer. Some courtiers shouted that Gawain should be drawn and quartered, while others demanded he take the severed head to the crypt. Arthur looked at Guinevere, ashamed. They'd been married barely a day, and this was nothing like he'd promised her. Ahem,
1: ahem. I sent Sir Gawain on his quest, and therefore take responsibility for his actions. Gawain, please tell us what happened.
5: Today, strength and wisdom perished. For I, Gawain, son of a king, strong of body and noble of blood failed. After you sent me to rescue the damsel, I gave chase with my three finest hunting dogs, Griffin, Basilisk, and Troy. We tailed the group to the edge of the River Severn. The water was too deep to cross on foot. With keen eyes, I spotted a shepherd practicing swordplay with his crook. He looked a fool, but even fools know their way around their home country. I asked him if there was a bridge nearby. He said no, but he did have a small boat. I said I'd pay him for it, but the fool offered the boat for free if he could be my squire on the journey. So together we sailed. I shared my glorious tale, and the fool shared that his name was Tor. We soon arrived at a castle, and my three hounds, Troy, Griffin, and Basilisk, barked like mad. I set them loose and the fine dogs led us into a courtyard. There, I spotted the stag. I drew an arrow and shot it perfectly through the heart. I called to my hounds to praise their work. None of my dogs answered. I called again and heard a whimper.
0: Sir Gawain gestured to the rogue knight.
5: This man, this knight, he calls himself Sir Ablamar, but he ought to be called Sir Dogslayer. For he held my three hounds in one arm and a sword in the other. He killed them! He murdered Basilisk, Griffin, and Troy! For vengeance, I drew my sword. He drew his. I knocked the Dog Slayer to the ground and pinned him with my boot on his chest, looking him in the eye. He begged for mercy, and mercy I denied. The man screamed as I chopped through his neck. I hacked again and again, but he would not stop screaming. I looked down at my enemy. Could he be a demon, impossible to kill? It was then I saw the truth. An older lady, a noble woman, had thrown herself atop the knight to save him, placing herself in the path of my sword. It was not his neck I chopped, but hers. I stepped off the dog slayer, burning with shame. She may have been the wife of a cruel knight, but she was a lady nonetheless. The man swore he'd bring his tale to you, King Arthur. Surely, he said, the one true king could rain down a harsher punishment than any single knight. Then he left. I had only one chance of redemption, and that was to rescue the damsel I'd first set out to help. together. Tor and I searched the castle. Finally, we found her, chained up in the chapel confessional. She told us that Ablamar had taken her hostage after a spat with her father. She had escaped when he went hunting, but accidentally crossed his path. He forced her onto his horse and continued the hunt, even when the stag ran through the halls of Camelot. Hearing her story, I felt certain that despite my previous failure, I might still do some good. But as I unlocked her chains, hands fell upon my shoulders. Four armed rogues towered over us, swords in hand. They'd seen the dead body of Lady Ablomar outside and plotted to avenge her. My sword fallen out of reach, I had no hope but to comply as they tied Lady Ablamar's head around my neck. They would not kill me yet, but shame me for my sin and the poor damsel would be locked in the chapel again. But we had all forgotten one thing. Tor, the young shepherd boy, had been watching all along from the trees. He took my sword in his own hands and fell upon the rogues. Somehow, the lad fought and disarmed all four men, giving us the moment we needed. Tor, the damsel, and I made haste to the stables. We took a horse and galloped straight here. That... My king is the entire story. I failed to uphold the values of a knight, but thanks to the help of young Tor, was able to rescue the damsel. Perhaps, if the king wishes it, young Tor can squire for a worthier man. He said he always dreamed of seeing King Arthur's court. As for me, I knew the best I could do was return an honest man, if not a virtuous one. I feel terrible for killing Lady Ablomar. I wear my shame upon my chest. Queen Guinevere, it was you who set this task upon me, and I beg you for mercy.
2: Where's the damsel?
5: She was exhausted and requested to rest in my chambers. Shall I fetch her?
0: Guinevere nodded, and Gawain limped out of the hall. Arthur... He has a violent streak. If
1: I have him executed after he begged for mercy, am I not exactly the same as Sir Gawain, who ignored a plea for mercy in favor of vengeful execution?
2: A fair point. But will this sinner cause more trouble?
1: Every man in this court has sinned in some way. But some of them must be redeemable. They have to be. They're all we have.
2: Then, if I may ask, consider this. He committed a crime against a woman. Let him spend the rest of his life in service to one. Me.
1: I love the way you think. I shall knight him.
0: (sighs) I love you too. Arthur kissed Guinevere, heat and pleasure spreading from her lips to his. He could have kissed her forever if Merlin wasn't yelling.
3: Arthur, my king, look here.
0: Arthur reluctantly looked at Merlin, who held Tor by the wrist.
3: Sir Gawain was erroneous in his deception. There is no shepherd boy. This is Tor, the bastard son of King Pellinor. Pellinor? You may remember him as the Knight of the Fountain, the one you fought before visiting Avalon.
1: The Knight who broke Caliburn!
3: Tor was raised to believe a lie, that he was a simple shepherd. Now he's eager to meet his destiny, should you feel it is his place.
0: At Merlin's gesture, Tor knelt. Arthur inhaled. The decision was clear.
1: Tor, son of Pelinor, your father gave me much grief. But a son should not be forced to atone for his father's sins. You have proven yourself courageous and loyal in the service of Britannia. I shall make you a knight of my new order, the Knights of the Round Table. Go, choose a piece of the table, for it shall be your seat.
0: Tor bowed and selected a piece of the Round Table. Then Arthur directed several more knights to follow him, those Guinevere brought, Those who'd battled beside him, Sir Kay, Sir Bedivere, Sir Gaheris, and Sir Tristan. When Sir Gawain returned with the damsel, Guinevere instructed him to join. Chanting softly, Merlin gathered the knights in a circle. Each man fit his piece to those next to him, but there was one piece missing. Morgana gestured to it on the floor near her. Arthur picked it up. This leaf was hinged. He could flip it open to reach the table's open middle. Arthur set the joists into place, completing the ring. Then he walked into the center of his round table. Guinevere and Merlin followed behind. Arthur took in his circle of knights.
1: I have 149 knights assembled and 150 seats at my round table. This last spot, shall be reserved for my greatest supporter and wisest strategist.
0: Across the room, Morgana looked up in surprise. She met his eyes and smiled gratefully.
1: It shall be reserved for my greatest knight. I do not yet know who that man will be, but look forward to raising him to this place of honor.
0: As the knights cheered, Merlin whispered to Arthur...
3: I wouldn't leave the seat open if I were you. It's destined to create a thorn in your side. Pick one of them. Any of them.
1: Merlin, let me have this moment.
0: Knights, raise your swords! Arthur raised Excalibur to the sky, and his knights followed suit.
1: I charge you to be merciful, even to those who vex you to never betray your country or your fellow knights, to help all in need, to honor damsels and save them from distress, and never to kill another man unless in battle. Keep true to this oath, and you shall be more than mere warriors. The world shall remember you as heroes, men of virtue and honor, who fought for the good of all Britannia. From this day forth, you, are knights of the round table.
0: As the knights repeated the oath, Arthur took in the moment. These men were imperfect, but he knew they would rise above their failings. They would make Camelot the kingdom he dreamed of. A movement out of the corner of Arthur's eye caught his attention. He glimpsed Morgana's back as she strode out of the great hall. She turned at the last moment, glancing back at him with a stony expression, her eyes betraying obvious hurt. Arthur frowned, confused. Beside him, Guinevere touched his arm. Arthur, what did you say to Morgana? She looks upset. I'm not sure. Using
1: the round table as a symbol for the Order was partly her idea, though. I meant to thank her, but with everything going on...
2: Oh, I'm sure that's it. But listen, why don't you let me talk to her, lady to lady?
1: Would you? I was hoping you two would be friends.
2: Of course, my love. You and Morgana seem so close. It would be a shame to let anything come between you.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Every Wednesday we dive into the dark origins of classic fables. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythology was written by Maggie Admire, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Drew Lawn, Melissa Medina, Ellie Schiff, Rebecca Thomas, and Laith Walschleger. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Listeners, remember to visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. It's on sale today, and I can't wait for you to dive in. Nexium, the Branch Davidians, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults takes you beyond the headlines for an intimate look at the sordid beginnings and deadly ends of the most radical groups in history. Details never heard on our show before. If you love our cult series or any of our true crime podcasts, this book is for you. Without your loyalty and support, none of this would be possible. So we truly hope you enjoy. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who Joined them. It's on sale and ready to read right now. Order today at parcast.com cults.